Welcome to the Father's Church, to all of our congregation here. It's great to be with you again. And um, these are very busy times it, because it, uh, it is getting very close to our fall seminar when so many of you who are joining with us online will be either venturing here for those dates or uh, joining with us online, and we're very excited about that. This is a quite a strategic moment in our walk as saints, and it's just a true privilege to be able to walk it with, with all of you. So um, today is uh, Communion Sunday, and as we, we have done, we are going to be observing communion in our worship time at the end of the service, but um, this bracket of the meeting right now is for some very important um, things to be put forward for you, and um, so and some of you may want to get your pen and pencil ready. Um, first of all, I want to thank all of you who were a part of what was happening here yesterday, both in the prayer times for the Prophetic Presbytery as well as for the work day. Um, getting getting this, the, the sanctuary ready, getting the facilities ready, and getting ourselves spiritually ready. Um, thank you all. May God bless you for your labors of love toward Him. And um, I wanted to let you know, if you've not already consulted the website, the Saints Network website, uh, you have the opportunity and have had the opportunity to register. So please do that. Um, registration for this gathering is, um, is really beneficial for you, especially for those of you who are uh, joining us online. Uh, there are things that we offer for you if you're not able to be here in person that are commensurate with you being registered. And um, I was speaking with Katie, who is ministering right now, I guess, over at the, a Methodist church up uh, in the northern part of the city. Uh, she'll be here in just a few minutes with Zach. But um, I was speaking with her, and she, uh, she would really like for you to have registration done by next Sunday so that what her part of taking the registrations and then processing the people into some ministries that will be offered from here um, needs a little bit of time to do that. So I guess what I'm saying is don't get too confused about this, but register, whether you're going to be here in person or online. But um, if you're especially, it's, it's really beneficial if you're not here in person, if you're joining us online, that you have registered by this coming weekend. So that's good. It's, ex it's exciting. Now, spiritually, now there are some things that you need to know about um, in, in intercession. And first of all, this coming Saturday will be first Saturday. So there'll be some directive that will come forth then, um, between now and then, as to our um, as to our point of agreement for, uh, for First Saturday. Secondly, 
you know, next Tuesday, oh, not, not this Tuesday, but next Tuesday begins a fast, remember? And we'll be talking about this particular type of fast, which I, I don't know that we've ever really focused on a Gilgal-type fast, not, not all the other factors that go on with Gilgal, but the principle of Gilgal, which is very big in the Old Testament, um, I think we're in that moment as, we, as we're entering a new dimension of service to the Father. And, um, you know, I think next Sunday and maybe even Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, we'll talk about this further so that everybody is really apprised of, of the meaning of the thing before we enter into it. And... Um, and I, and I think in so many ways in the past, the seminar really begins the, the week before uh, the seminar with the things that we, we, we bring forward from the Lord, but particularly um, the day after the holiday, we enter into a fast um, that really does align itself with what God put forward for Gilgal. You know, one of the things that I was studying regarding Samuel was that um, he, when it was time for Saul to be anointed, not anointed, but appointed before the people as king, he said, Samuel said, everybody come to Gilgal and we'll renew the kingdom there. And, and it's interesting that he said renew the kingdom because there wasn't any kingdom at that point. In fact, just, just uh, not very long before that, God told him what he wanted him to do. And the Bible says, the Bible says that Samuel wrote down the directives for the kingdom in a book and put it in a, a holy place. So then he says, let's, let's all meet to Gilgal and we'll renew the kingdom. What does that mean? The essence of that renewal was, first of all, an establishment. You're establishing something. And if you don't have something established, you'll never be able to renew it. So the essence of renewing the kingdom at Gilgal was an establishment of identity, an establishment of purpose, um, a statement of being that then you would hearken back to um, when you would say, okay, it's time from this point of identity to move forward into the new, to, as Dennis was just saying, evolving into the next thing that God wants. But you have to have that base of identity and functionality in place. And that's what Samuel said. It's kind of misleading in our English language for him to say, let's renew the kingdom, when he was really saying, let's begin the kingdom. But that, that point of renewal is, it necessitates an understanding of identity and purpose and establishment. And so, and that then extrapolates for what Gilgal really represented in so many ways. When Israel crossed over, Joshua brought those stones from the middle of the Jordan, established them in Gilgal, and then there was the circumcision of the men of age. And um, there, there was the peeling away.
There was the, 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 the bearing yourself, the sensitivity, the vulnerability to God for what was coming next in an enemy land at that point, even though it was the land of promise. And, and as we've studied, when we studied about this many, 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 many years ago, um, Golgotha was Galal. It was the root of Gilgal. And for Christ to give himself there so that we can continue to yield ourselves, to die daily, so that the purpose of God could go forward is, is really this principle. And we'll talk more about Gilgal because there's a lot of other factors that are, um, are, are what we're facing right now in a good way, but it's God's principle. Um, that was, and I'm, I'll say this and then I'll be quiet with it. That was why when um, Saul went and he was supposed to wait for Samuel, he was at Gilgal, and some people say, well, where did, where did it say that uh, the seven days, there wasn't any directive that you read. Well, this was an ongoing principle. Gilgal was, a, was an ongoing function of the people of God, as it should be today, where we come and we say, what is our identity? What has God established? We're not searching for it. We're remembering what has God established us to be. And so we're going to yield ourselves to remember that, come back into full alignment with it, to reboot, as it were, to touch hearts with it, as it were. And, and if, if anything's out of calibration, we realign. But we also make ourselves vulnerable to the Lord, and we, we let our hearts be circumcised again so that we can go into the new thing that the Lord wants. And, and that, that was understood that it wasn't some, oh poor poor Saul. He you know he he waited his seven days. No, he didn't. There was the principle of the eighth, that principle of the solemn feast, which we talked about, where you you where you're ready to move into the new based upon what you have done to recalibrate and reset, reestablish your your identity. That has to happen before the new thing comes, and and so the whole identity of what we'll do next week in the fast is to really lay ourselves before the Lord and let our heart beat with his for what God has called us to be. You know, really, that's not changed. Anything we do is based upon what God has called us to be. I mean, if we go out and God opens a door in the new nations, which he's done, we don't have anything to give but who we are in him. That's the pattern. That's the pattern of the saints. We function as saints, which is a rare commodity. We sow that seed into people that God has prepared the soil to receive. And so if, if we're not functioning on behalf of what God's eternal calling is, biblical calling is as saints, if we don't come back to that point and reset, reestablish, and then make ourselves vulnerable so that God can make us more sensitive to break into the new terrain, which is a wonderful thing to do. That's, that's the issue of Gilgal. 
I said I wasn't going to say anything more, but there's, there's several other really strategic points that are not often ballyhooed, as it were, but, but are right there in the Word that we as pneumatikos people need to, to come into alignment with. And, and it's not that we're negligent. It's not that we're missing anything. It's that we're finding, and, and that's the discovery of the Lord. It's exciting to know that when we come in established territory with a living God who is eternal, that he can birth new mysteries, but they don't contradict the established meat. And, and that, that's exciting. We've lived that, but we come to a culminative point now, and this gathering of Rama is, is really indicative of this ideal, but it's it's the ongoing principle of the Lord. It's, it's, what, it's, what God, it's what God has put before us. So, this Saturday is first Saturday. We line with the network as we always do, the first Saturday of September, which is kind of exciting uh, in some ways. Uh, we continue to go before the Lord through the, the ending of August. Uh, this is a, it's an imperative month, this eighth month. And so we got to be faithful all the way through uh, to the conclusion of that. Um, then on Sunday, we'll talk, really put forward the fast. I know that's the holiday weekend, but it will, you know, those of you who will be here will be blessed by that. But um, that's going to be available online for you to hear. The fast will begin a week from this coming Tuesday, and the eighth day will be when the saints gather here on that Wednesday. Does that make sense? Um, or will it? It'll be Tuesday. Yeah, that's right. I don't have the calendar in front of me. At some point, I just need to be quiet. <laughs> you won't hear any other preacher in Dallas say that today. So you're hearing something here first, folks. Um, and as I say that, I keep talking. Um, <laughs> So, um, I see there's a toothpick here. Maybe we'll have strong meat today. <laughs> uh, let's see. There was something else I wanted to announce. This, this is going to be an exciting time, but we're living in an exciting moment. And God is doing so many wonderful things in you and through you. So enjoy, enjoy these times in the Lord. Don't, don't let this atmosphere be uh, like Jacob at Mahanaim. You know, the Lord was in there, and I, I didn't really know it. I didn't, I didn't really take advantage of it. Um, drink in the fullness of, of the Lord. So... Um, I, uh, I look forward to what God's going to share in the Word in just a few minutes, but uh, it's time for the offering, and Brother Les is going to come, but he's sitting by uh, a young lady whose birthday is today, Monica's birthday today. So, let's sing, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday, dear Monica. Happy birthday to you. Yay! 
Thank you, guys. I heard those, those twin voices back there surrounding Grandma. Good, good job. All right, Brother Les, would you please come to receive the morning offering? God bless all of you as you give. And um, God is good to us. Amen. Thanks, brother. Good morning. How's everybody? Yeah, good. Everybody good? Praise the Lord. Did you say tired? Did y'all start back to school this week? Yeah. Tomorrow? All right. Okay. <laughs> well, um, I would like to just ask, because I was back there praying about taking up the offering this morning, if anybody has a testimony that they want to share. Anybody have a testimony that they want to share? Anybody? All right. All right. Well, um, I'll, uh, I'll just share. I, I shared this in Sunday school, and some of you were there, some of you weren't. But um, we had a, a wonderful teaching this morning, and it was a, a really a discussion about the root and the importance of the root. And I, uh, I, had, I had shared that earlier in the week I was reading in Hebrews about um, some of what we talked about, about branches being broken off and grafted in and the root. And, um, you know, you, you think about a root, you know, it's, it's below the surface, right? It's something that is, is, um, is not seen. But from it comes forth, you know, all sorts of provision. You know, we think about roots and we think about fruit trees. And, I mean, the, 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 the nourishment that we get in the physical from the things that grow from a, a seed or a root and, um, you know, that's, that's really, uh, it, that's how it happens in the physical, but it's also how it happens, obviously, in the spiritual. And I was, I was praying this week just about this transition I'm in the midst of with my, my business. And, you know, so often in life we think that we're, you know, the ones that make things happen or that we're the ones that are in control. And this passage in Hebrews that I read it basically said, remember that you don't support the root, the root supports you. And for me, that was um, a, a really strong word. I mean, an encouraging word, too, because sometimes, you know, we think that we're the ones that su support our, our families or, or whatever it is, but we're not. You know, we're, we, are, we are supported by the root. You know, we, we spring forth and grow from and, from and produce fruit as a result of the root, right? Not us, but the root. And um, I just want that to be a reminder to all of us that, you know, when we think about giving of our tithe and our offering, we're, we're, we're generally thinking about giving our financial tithes, which is what we're going to do. Um, but, you know, we talked last week about giving out of lack. You know, that's, that opens the windows of heaven for the Lord to pour out into your life when you give... Uh, you know, out of lack, when you, when you really seem to not have enough, you know, give something, because that opens the windows of heaven. But I also want to remind all of us that as we, uh, you know, confess that we are completely um, reliant upon the Lord for all that we have, 
I mean, the air that we breathe. I mean, our salvation, of course. But everything we have uh, in the spirit realm as well in the physical realm, every source of provision, it comes from the hand of the Lord. And so as we come forth this morning to bring our tithe and our offering, I want us to just come with a joyful heart, yes, because the Lord loves a cheerful giver, but also just with, with a heart um, full of, of gratitude and acknowledgement that we're not our providers, but that he's our provider. And just confess that with our mouths. You know, maybe throughout this week, confess with our mouths that, you know, all that I have, Lord, comes from you, and you are my source of supply. And I give back to you just an, an, an acknowledgement that you are the one, you are the source. Of course, we do it out of obedience, but also out of love for him and out of gratitude for what he's done for us. Amen. So let's go ahead and bring forth our tithes and our offerings now down to the drum of plenty. Praise the Lord. I was reading Debbie Kay's shirt when she walked down. It said, everything worships, and there's like this mountain on there. And I think about, you know, nature declares the glory of God, and, and the trees clap their hands. It, isn't it neat to think about, um, you know, if, if, if man won't cry out, the Lord will make the rocks cry out. You know, um, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's a wonderful thing to, to think about. Nature proclaims the glory of the Lord. Whether man will or will not, nature will proclaim the glory of the Lord. Hallelujah. All right, extend your hands with me. Let's pray over the tithe and the offering. Father, we thank you so much for meeting every need that we have in this place. Whatever and however uh, it may be, Lord, you know our needs and you make provision for all of them. And we're so grateful. Lord, we do give to you our tithe and our offering out of obedience. But Lord, also just again with a joyful heart, but just out of an acknowledgement that all that we have comes from your hand. Your blessings, Lord, that you pour into our lives. We're, we're just um, continually amazed and so grateful, Father. We do ask, Lord, that you would bless the tithe and the offerings, that you would bless your people, that you would bless this house, and that you would bless all those throughout the network, Lord, as they're so faithful to give um, their tithes and their offerings and to give above and beyond um, in, in, in all ways. Father, we ask that you would bless Pastor this morning as he brings forth your word and as we do um, take steps to prepare in many ways uh, for the conferences coming up, Lord, just um, give us uh, peace, give us rest, give us time to worship and to praise you and to prepare our hearts uh, for your people that will be coming into this place, Lord. We just are so grateful for the opportunity to minister to others and to partner with others in your ministry. We love you and we give you thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. <laughs> oh, my. Thank you, Allie.
you get that? All right. Um, would you please turn with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at something today that um, I believe uh, is, is, is really... It's really a wonderful thing. Um, as I've said so many times, the Word of God is remarkable because no matter how many times you study it, no matter how many times you read it, the living Word can breathe something new to you in a way that is absolutely necessary for where you are right then. And you see things that you've never seen before, and the Word of God is just miraculous in that way. And I'm so thankful to the Father for His Word. This passage in Romans 12 is well known by all of us. And um, I believe that as we read particularly the first three verses um, the objective of our Father is that we come away with um, some, new, some new measures of meat that we need to not only empower us, but to enable us as, as we go forward. So, well known. Some of you could just quote it, but we'll read it just for all the purists that might be tuning in. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. From there, then, Paul goes on to speak about how that the body has many members and that, uh, and that there are many gifts, and we need to function in the capacity that God has created us to be and serve in the way that God has anointed us to serve. But it's, it's particularly verse 3 that spoke some, some amazing things to me uh, as I prayed and studied about this yesterday and last night. We'll begin by looking at what it means to uh, think soberly. Now, when I was growing up in, in a church environment, sober meant two primary things. The first was that you don't get drunk and you stay away from the evil brew of Satan. Uh, you know, you don't smoke, you don't chew, you don't run with those that do, and you certainly stay away from anybody who imbibes. Um, the other factor of sober was those people who didn't think that Christians should smile or be happy 
And if you, certainly if a preacher joked about anything, then he wasn't being sober. And God was going to judge you for every one of those words, which is totally taken out of context. But that's what we thought when we talked about being sober. Now, there were others who would take a step more to um, the current framework, and they would say that sober thought was being able to analyze appropriately and to be able to deduce what should happen next as opposed to being stuck in the quagmire of what tradition had established. Now, there's, there's validity to that too, but none of those things really touch on what this word really meant in the mindset of the Greek society from which this language was drawn and the divine author, the Holy Spirit, and through the pen of Paul, wrote. What did it mean to be sober in, uh, in the Greek mindset? Now, this comes from sophroneo. And, and in fact, if you look up sober, you'll find that there are actually two Greek words. One is eis, ace, which means that you stand against or you stand beside or you rely upon or you set up your camp on behalf of this. So what Paul is saying about this soberness is that this is the way we ought to operate and we don't need to vary from the principles of this. And then sophroneo. Um, and if you, if you look then at what sophroneo is uh, how it's used in the scripture, you find that the first usage, which is in two gospels, was when the man who had lived amongst the tombs and was possessed by a legion of demons, after the Lord set him free, this man sat and was in his right mind. I think that's very interesting because this guy had been subjected for we don't really know how long to not just one demonic influence, not just five, not just seven, as Mary Magdalene was, but a legion of thousands, of a, a demonic army. And, and if you know anything, first of all, about armies, uh, true armies have to be structured. Uh, there has to be a chain of command. There has to be an order. Everybody needs to know their place. And if you, if you get out of that place, it's anarchy. Every army relies upon that. Now, hopefully our army in the United States, of course, I'm not so sure what's really going on today in some cases or some, some mindsets, but our army should be devoted to preserving this nation and preserving the people of this nation and, and uh, preserving what this nation is is supposed to be in its essence. And that structure should support that. But in the demonic realm, and I don't want to go too far with this, but the main, the main essence of how the enemy functions in his kingdom is through, um, is through power. And, they, and, and uh, you know, every one of those beings in their structure is based not on behalf of the purpose of God, not on behalf of their created identity, but on the fear of power. 
and and being removed from power or being in some ways disciplined um, and and it, it really is like a what we would think about in a in a fascist group or like in the Nazi armies there, there was more fear driven than purpose driven but the point was that whether it's in a in a good mindset or whether it's in a perverted mindset it's the idea of structure and everybody being what they're supposed to be and not getting out of line. That's the first use of this word in Scripture, and it's in two Gospels, very clearly chosen that here's this man that's now free to fulfill what he was created to be and to find his place in the, div in the divine purpose that, that he was born, that he was set free to know through Christ. Now, in the, in the Greek society, they use this word a lot in their, in their stories. In fact, one of the most famous usages was in one of their myths that supposedly Apollo was crossways with his uncle Poseidon. And they had come to a point of possible war, but Apollo chose not to fight against his uncle because of Sophroneo. He knew his place. He was not going to disrupt the order of what Olympus had dictated, both in the family but also in the power structure. And this word was prominently utilized as why there was not going to be war. It was because of Sophroneo. Oh, if the church knew this thing, you know. Uh, we've seen many churches destroyed because Sophroneo was really not put in place. Um, there, there was also several other instances, like in one of the great Greek heroes, Menelaus. His, the structure of how he fit into with his men as, as a, as a, and in conjunction with dealing with alliances, that everybody knew their place. It's almost like the biblical principle of Adonai. Um, and, of course, that's the, that's the essential one, where everybody knows what they're supposed to do. Everybody knows their place. Everybody functions in that place. But that's what Sophroneo is. And Paul, uh, Paul puts this together against someone thinking more highly than they ought to think. This is hoopfronel, hooperfronel, or hyperfronel. This is somebody that has an identity or a friend, because the root of this is friend, that deposit of the Spirit within us, the core of what God has deposited within us that becomes born again only through Christ. That is our divine DNA. It's what God wants to accomplish through each of us as individuals. And, you know, I spoke on this past Wednesday about the seal of God, Sphragos, coming from that friend. That is our power base. And Paul says two things. He says, don't let whatever your friend identity is, don't let it become compared with somebody else to where you extend yourself into somebody else's identity, whether it's through pride or whether it's through competition or whether it's through jealousy or whatever it is, you don't go into hyperfroneo. You do not do that. That's what Paul is saying. But instead, you are sober. 
you sophroneo, you understand what God has called you to be, whatever that is, and you be that. So just like then he goes into, there are many members in one body. He gives the illustration of our physical body. And, and then he says, there are many gifts. Let everybody minister according to the gris, their gifts, according to the grace that is within them. And Paul said, I'm saying this to you, verse 3, through the grace given to me. What has God caused me to be on behalf of his horizon? What's coming? What he expects? The, po- the next point of growth in partnering with him as a, 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 a supplicant. From that standpoint of my own commitment, I'm saying to you, don't go beyond your friend and function in the fullest capacity in the family, in the army of God, sophroneo. These words were well understood in this language. I mean, there was, there was no gray area. Everybody knew what these words meant. We don't. Well, we do now. But everybody knew this, and it fits so perfectly in, in the midst that this is the meat of the sandwich that Paul is putting forth. Of course, he begins in verses 1 and 2 with the, with the passage that we all know, that we give ourselves a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable before God, which is our reasonable service. The whole idea of the living sacrifice is you be what you're supposed to be. You don't just show up. It's also that you function in what you're supposed to be. Well, how will I know what it is? Maybe I need to come to prophetic presbytery and have Tammy tell me for the 90th time what God thinks of me. No, at some point, you got to, there's a lot of down-home phrases we could use, but at some point, you just got to be. You, you do, and then you teach. Isn't that right? Isn't that what the Scripture says? You function, and then as you function, God shows you what from the Word and what from His, His loving Spirit that's guiding you, how better to become what you are. And isn't that the way it is in life, you know? Some, say like in sports, some kids watch things on TV and they think, oh, I want to be that. Then they go out onto the field and their left foot doesn't know what the right foot's doing. And finally, somebody has to say, maybe this sport isn't what you're supposed to be. Maybe this isn't. No matter what mom thinks back here on the bench, uh, in, in the stands, this game is not for you. You're going to hurt yourself and everybody else. But you don't know that till you actually get out there and do it. And then you learn when, when you recognize that you have a skill set. And you then begin to develop your craft. And iron sharpens iron with that. Experiences teach you. Uh, you, you begin to learn how to function in the way you're supposed to function. And... Um, but, but it's the doing. And so you, you give yourself a reasonable sacrifice. What is that sacrifice? It's, it's, and, and you must discipline your mind. This is what he says in verse 2. Don't be conformed to the things. It's not the world just isn't evil. You know? The world here are the things that are around you. The influences that are around you. And some of them may be good. Some of them may be really appealing and enticing. But don't conform yourself to that. Don't become that. Be transformed. 
by the renewing of your mind. Here's that word renewing again, which we were talking about regarding Gilgal. You can't renew something unless you've got a foundational understanding of what it should be. Otherwise, you're renewing into the air. How can you renew something that has not been established? Does that make sense? So the renewing of your mind has to be set in some way. If the friend, if the spirit within is functioning and you're communing with God and you're being built up and your passions and your understandings are based from that point of divine creation within you, then you, you function in that way and you, you say, I've got to keep doing, tell me if you've heard this before, I've got to do the first things. I've got to do the first love. Well, where is that? It's right here. This is what God created you to be. You can say, I'm following the agape uh, 50 times a day, and if that just means you're running to wherever the goosebumps are, that's not agape. That's not agape. The best issue of agape is where you go before the Father and you say, you've created me for a purpose. You put me on this earth for a reason. You sent your son to die, to sacrifice himself so that that might be born again. Now, here am I. I am as a living sacrifice. I want to be holy and acceptable to you. That's my reasonable service. That's what you created me to be. That's the sacrifice. Don't look all around and try to become everything. And don't see somebody else as flashy in your opinion, and you want to be that. You're going to do whatever it's necessary to be that. Don't conform to that. Don't conform to the world. Transform how your spirit then registers and your mind then is trained to function on behalf of what the spirit is saying. The natural mind is at enmity with the things of the Spirit. you got to know that. There's a way that, th that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is destruction. Lean not to your own understanding. Seems I've read those. I think I even have a couple of plaques in my house that have those verses written. I have to do that, so I remind myself that I must do that every day. It's good to have that. You know, it's better than the Old Testament when they had to plaster that between, <laughs> between their eyes. You know, you imagine walking around with, <laughs> that would be awful. But the point, though, is, is that the whole, the whole um, understanding that Paul is saying here in this 12th chapter, the root of it is sophroneo. Let, your, let the spirit within be in commune with God. And let that identity and that functional reality guide you. Think that way. Yield yourself in that way. Find your place and fill it. And don't do it like a communist five-year plan. Oh, yeah, I'm going to serve in this way now. But I know that if I do this, God is going to make me into that. No, I hate that kind of thought. You know, I really do hate that kind of thought. If you're serving the Lord faithfully because you think he's going to bump you into some other thing that you think is flashier, get over it. That is not what God wants. That's why meekness and humility is what God sees and he exalts. Now, is exalting 
changing or is exalting um, a greater authority? You're faithful in the small things, I'll make you ruler over many. You're still functioning in the same way because that's what God created you. If we think God's going to change what he created us to be, well, then God's vacillating, and who wants that? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if you think, see, see, the enemy has all kinds of ways of subterfuge. And he, if he can't get you to trip up in this obvious way, you'll think, okay, how about if I try this? How about if I try, he goes about, seems I've read this before, he goes about as a roaring lion, seeking what he may devour. That's what the scripture says. And we're not giving too much um, uh, credence to the enemy here, but we're, uh, we're not ignorant of his devices either. And, and in saying that, if you're, if you're not ignorant of the enemy's devices, you should not be ignorant of God's devices. What does God want? What's he saying? Do what he's created you to be, and be that before him, regardless of what, if whether anybody sees it other than him, He's the most important, and think soberly. Can you imagine that first usage of this word? Here is this guy that had terrorized through these thousands of demons within him, terrorized an entire region, and Jesus comes after the enemy tries to kill him in the boat. Jesus comes, lands on the shore, and as an act of surrender... This guy, full of demons, comes and proscuneos before Jesus. Can you imagine that setting? And then the negotiation, you know, the first case of devil ham in the scripture, send us into the swine. You know, you, you've, got, you've got that going on. And then this guy is sitting there, probably Indian style, uh, cross legs. Can we say that anymore? <laughs> <laughs> that used to be when we were kids. Anybody said, okay, sit Indian style. That means you sit, you cross your legs. And I don't think I can do that anymore. I probably can. Since I'm new and uh, all kind of workout man now, I probably can do that, but I'm not going to try it right now. Um, but anyway, he's sitting there, and the Bible says that he's sophroneo. Of all the terms to use, this $50 word, the Bible says twice by two Gospels authors under the anointing of the Spirit. And there had to have been some measure of exuberance in God's heart when he inspired that scenario to be written in that way. To use that term sophroneo after this man had been an unwilling host of a demonic army filled with a structure motivated by fear and power and really bitterness and anger. And now this guy is free of that, and here he is as a living testament of sophroneo, which means knowing what you're called to be and being it, perhaps for the first time ever in this man's life. I think that is so wonderful. The law of first issuance hits a home run here. I mean, that's amazing. Now, we can say that about this guy, but can we really say it about us? I believe that we're working toward that. So to be sober has nothing to do with whether you just have a 
a grinless face or whether you stay away from Jack Daniels or, or any of his family. Um, or you, <laughs> I have to say these things every now and then because I, I need to get Tammy smiling. Uh, you know, and I have to say them before Dennis thinks of it and says it. Um, the, uh, the, the thing about it is, is that it has nothing to do, even though those may be wonderful values, this word has nothing to do with that. And, it, it, you know, there's so many people who have never imbibed in their life who, if they smiled, their face would crack, who have no concept in their own identity of what sophroneo means. They think they are. They think that the, the happy God, the Makarios God, is pleased by their sobriety. But God is more interested in you being what you're supposed to be, where you're supposed to be, serving him, and in your place, not in a five-year plan, not with ambition, but the only ambition you have is to serve him with gladness. And that he would look at you and say, well done, good, faithful servant. Good, meaning that you, you're, you're doing what the tobe is for your life, the kalos is for your life as created by God, and you're faithful at doing that. That's what God says. And it's everywhere. Sophroneo is the essence of this. And it goes back to this word which God has been highlighting for us for, year, for several years now. Friend, that ma'a place. And um, this is difficult for many, for many folks. But, you know, after all these, well, gee whiz, how many years now? We've been trying to function in, uh, as saints. Um, the essence of what we are remains the same. And it should be. This is the first love. This is the first things. Do the first things. This, this, it, it, it's the essence of what we're supposed to be. And that's Sophroneo, which to me very clearly aligns with the concept of Adonai in the Old Testament and what would be Lord, Curios, in the New Testament. It is what Jesus gave himself. His, the, the, main, the essence of Christ's sacrifice was to be a son of the Most High and to do the will of the Father, to do the will of one who sent him, which is the essence of friend. This is what I've come to be. This is what he created me to be. This is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, I could do, any, I could do anything, but I'm choosing to do this, and I'm not varying from it. I am, there's not going to be any iniquity found in me. I am going to stay true to the purpose of God. If there was ever a testimony of friend, that's it. That's it right there through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so when he looks at us and he says, well done, good and faithful, he's, he's the one who made this possible for you and for me because he was good and faithful, perfect. And so here is Paul. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, Hagias, that's a good word. Acceptable unto God, whatever God's requiring. Your reasonable service, which is what you were created to be. Don't be conformed by the things around you, 
but be transformed, keeping your mind set on what's going on with what God created you to be, that you may prove the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. That's the description of friend in you. For I say, as somebody who's functioning in this grace on your behalf, to every man that is among you, don't hyperphroneo. Don't get cocky with the wonderful, powerful, the, the, the miraculous things going on in you to where you think, if I do this, I'll be that. No, if you do this, do this. That's the thing that's going to bring you the most delight. Have you seen that in people where they, they become good at something and they're happy and then they overextend themselves and then they're miserable and then their life falls apart because they're in places they're not supposed to be doing things they're not supposed to do and they say something, maybe in a country song, I need to go back to what's important. Well, we just need to abide in the Lord. And, and let that sophroneo guide us. Now, this word isn't used many times in the New Testament, uh, but wherever it's used, it conveys the same concept because it's the defined word. But the one that I really wanted to look at was in uh, 1 Peter 4, verse 7. And 1 Peter 4, here's Peter. Now, Peter had to learn this because Peter was strong. He was a leader. Um, he, he knew how to get things done. But yet for him, he had to be what Jesus said. He had to be converted and then lead the other brethren into it. He had to become as a little child. He continually had to be that rock that people could, could rely upon. And, and so for Peter, of all the other things that he was, um, that essential quality was what God relied upon him doing. But 1 Peter 4, 7, I gave you a couple minutes to turn to it. The end of all things is at hand. And, and if the end of all things was at hand back then, what is it now? Be you therefore sober and watch with prosuke. Be sober. Stay in your place. Do what you're created to do. And, and function with God before the throne in that measure of perceiving and understanding and receiving insights. And then prosuke. Proclaim from that point of strength. Proclaim from that point of revelation. Proclaim. This is this is a missing, this is a missing link. Um, in uh, I, no, I, let me rephrase that. This is something that God started talking to us about in in biblical detail a few years ago. But I think that He's taking us into an, the next dimension of it. Because prosuke uh, is, is something that God has revealed that then he empowers you to begin to believe for. And, and it's, you're, you're putting it forward and, and you're, you're laying claim to it. 
So from that point of your strength and your function, is even when the end is at hand, when wacky things are going on and you wonder what in the world is going to happen next, you, 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 you're engaged, you're watching, and you're functioning, and God gives you insights, and you proclaim them. You lay claim to them. I, I love that. You know, the, the, the message that I was going, going to bring today as of Friday evening going into early Saturday morning when God just changed things was when John wrote about our heart being condemned. I thought, that's a, that's a weird thing for John, of all people, lover of God, head on the, fa- the, the breast of Jesus, come up hither, all that stuff. Son of thunder. How could his heart condemn? And, and I, think, I, think that, I think that one of the ways that God has been refining us recently, and one of the en- ways the enemy has been attacking, is God has been expanding the capacities of our heart, which is the steering wheel of our life which is how we, with all these other things we talked about, we're functioning, we're thinking right, we're, we're doing what God puts before us, but we have established the course that he's laid before us, and we're going that way, and we're guiding the ship of our lives toward that port of function, of, of fulfillment for God. So how could John, of all people, say... Anything about the heart condemning us. And I, I, I see tinges of that in what Moses did the second time at the rock, what Elijah did, what David did sometimes, what, what Saul did. And, you know, the enemy, I'll just talk about me, I know this has happened with some of you, whether you didn't own up to it or not. The enemy will try any way he can to condemn and to get, if he can get you to condemn yourself, whether it's a realistic indictment or not, doesn't matter. It's whether you believe it and your heart is the one that condemns. And Jesus talked about, you say to this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in your heart. The functionality of the heart is so crucial, it's a strength for us. It's the, it's the, it's the plumb line focus of what God's righteousness is wanting to accomplish in us. But somehow the enemy would come and try to get you to, to doubt in that place or to be condemned in that place. Now, sometimes um, this takes different factors uh, and different approaches. But even for, the, for, for John, I would say that he wasn't motivated by pride. He wasn't motivated by jealousy. He wasn't motivated by some miscreant behavior that he did towards somebody else to get ahead. He wasn't None of the things that could be condemnatory were, were existent in his life, just in the big picture. Um, you know, 
Paul wrote about, there's therefore now no condemnation of those that are in Christ Jesus. So condemnation is a factor that would come from the enemy, but the, the objective would be for him to get you to, to stop the course you're on, because that's what the heart's about, to stop the path that you're, that you're supposed to be following, that you commit your life to. And, and, and I would say that if the enemy is trying to convince any of you for any purpose, uh, for, from, any, from any angle, that somehow God has fault with you. If Listen, if you're functioning before the Lord, if you're praying, if you're trying to be what he's called you to be, if that's in your life, if there's, if there's anything that, that the Spirit finds suspect, according to the book of Hebrews, he's going to bring it to your attention. He doesn't need any help from the enemy. Um, you know, didn't the enemy try to do that in other places, like in the book of Zechariah, when God brings Joshua up and, and Satan says, you're not going to do this, this guy can't be used. And Michael rebukes, the Lord rebuke. This is one that God has plucked out, and he's going to use him. That is over and over and over again. And I know this is an odd uh, way to end a sermon on Sophroneo, but yet I think feel very strongly that this, this has been a tactic of the enemy. Sometimes our heart can condemn us because we're, we're viewing things that are happening, even in the kingdom, in a way that is a misuse of sophroneo and hyperphoneo. Maybe you're serving God as a member of the body. Maybe this, this body is serving God. And we've known miracles, we've known success, we've functioned, but yet we view the world, and it doesn't have to be evil things. It doesn't have to be perverted Bud Light cans. It can be, it can be churches. It can be other ministries that are embracing revolution right now. And you're, you're, you're in the process of evolving yourself, as Dennis said the, today. Um, and... You think, the enemy will say, well, the reason you're not there is that you've screwed up. You've failed. And condemnation starts coming to your heart. And you start, oh, woe is me, you know. And then you start thinking, and I, I've read several journals, not mine, not yours, but different journals of people that have served the Lord over the past couple of years and looked for this very thing. And you know what? It's there. The enemy uses this strategy. We'll try to use this strategy. He'll say, you know what? God, God's had it with you. He's moved on from you. He's doing this over here. What if the root thinks that about the fruit? I don't know. Probably. But the heart can condemn for any number of reasons. But John said right after that, I mean the verse after, we have this confidence that if we continue to function in Iteo, if we ask anything of God, he gives it to us. Iteo, you are at the same time where your heart may be trying, the enemy may be trying to get your heart to feel condemned. God is looking at you as a partner, and he's wanting you to hear from him and to speak forth that Iteo of faith 
It's a high-level point, as we've studied in the past, a high-level point of hearing from God. It's, it's prosuke is powerful, but aiteo is on a, a higher level of authority and functionality. Both of them have power. But when you talk about aiteo, you're talking about being in the boardroom with God where he's trusting you. It's, it's kind of like the signatory. It's, it's kind of like the notary public of supplication. This is what's going to happen, and I'm declaring it before the Father, and it's that way. It's going to be that way. That's what John says in his epistle. Heart condemning and in in in, in this, this measure of, of asking. We're on the cusp of not only the transition that many of us have been in, that God is turning this big ship slowly toward. We're still functioning in the same way that he created us to function. Why would he change it? <laughs> it's, it's such a rare thing. It's what he wants us to be. It's what the church should be. So he's not changing that. But there's a lot of factors that would try to get us off course. Your heart can condemn you because somebody else screwed up and they blame you. And in the, in the quiet hours, you think, well, if I had just done this, or if I hadn't have done that, or if I'd done this in a different way, maybe. It's kind of like the old Adam. This woman you gave me, she's the one that made this happen. No, your mouth opened and you bit into it with those pearly whites. Adam probably even had all these wisdom teeth. They didn't have to be yanked out back then. You know, the, the point, though, is that in the midst of this sophroneo, where our minds have to be transformed, there's also that factor of the enemy trying to get you to stop. And I'm telling you right now, as opposed to later, God loves you. Have, be sober. Function in what he created you to be. He knows you. He loves you in spite of our faults. I like that old song. He looked beyond my faults and saw, well, it says my need, but he looked beyond my faults, I would say, and sees our purpose and, and our identity as his sons. And we need to, we need to, come before him confidently. Yes, there are a lot of factors that are being used to refine us, but we're emerging into, and this would have to be if we're going to be Elijah's in this day with the plethora of those that God is bringing in many nations and in this, we would have to come into the, that's what Elijah was supposed to be doing. What are you doing here, Elijah? The focus is, are, what are you supposed to be doing, Elijah? What is your due, Elijah? Well, you know, my, my, I'm not any better than my forefathers, and you know, I, 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 you've probably lost track, but I'm the only one that's serving the Lord here. And You know, he goes off instead, and God says again, what are you doing? What should you be doing? What have I created you to do? Do that. And at the end result, after the wrapping of the mantle around his head and being at the cave, okay, I'm going to send you to anoint a king in another nation. Or on your behalf, the king of Syria, 
You're going to go and anoint him. And you're going to bring along this guy, Elisha. I think we're in a point right now where not only are we being entrusted with that Rama kind of training uh, capacity, but we're, we're being put in a position to impact nations in, in ways that I don't think any of us realize. That's part of the Elijah ministry. That's what God wants. But for God, it wasn't how, Elijah asking, how are you going to do that? Elijah's heart was condemning him all over the place. For God, it was, what did I create you to do? Do it. Be that. <laughs> and that's what Sophroneo is. And that's what the essence of our heart is. And it's a good thing. So next week, uh, this week you can go ahead and get started on it, but as I said earlier, next week on Tuesday we begin a Gilgal-type fast. We'll speak more on that probably Wednesday, definitely on Sunday. But the renewing of the kingdom is a twofold thing. What did God establish originally? And how are we calibrated to align with that? Are we out of place with where we should be? Is our vector off? We need to get in sync with that again? Is there something new that God wants to build off this foundation that he's wanting to extend forth from? Is this point of beginnings now wanting to, ex to go forth from? Here to the next, we have to align perfectly, otherwise the walls are going to be skewed and the first wind is going to blow them over. That's where we are as a people. And that's where you are. And um, I'm grateful that God is good. So let's think soberly, shall we? Let's, let's be sophroneo. And let's, let's be as that part of the body, every member being created differently, with having different gifts, minister according to the gifts that you have. Not so that others will notice you and promote you into some other gift. No. Just be happy with that. Just be happy with serving the one who created you. And if you do that, everybody's going to benefit. But if you don't, you're going to be miserable. And God will not be able to fulfill what he created you to be. So we come before this table of communion. And I, I, love, I love the facets which we've talked about many, many times. Tell me the old, old story. Here it is again. We commune with the Father, that bread. We function in accordance with what our alignment, our inheritance is, that breaking of the bread. We, we're hearing fresh words and commune with him. He's strengthening us. Each person, each part of the body of Christ being what it's supposed to be, that's what we've been talking about. The power of the blood, that we would be uh, part of that family, uh, blood heirs with God. And, um, and that we would have the explosive power through the sprinkling of the blood to see new things happen from the root of our life, to see new places impacted. That blood, so much more is communicated there. And what's not here today is something that should always be in our thinking, the bitter sop. Is there some way that we've allowed bitter root judgments or bitter perceptions or skewed perceptions. You know, I wasn't promoted. Oh, look at that person. Oh, I failed God. How did you fail him? I don't know, but I know I have. 
That's a terrible thing. It's kind of like the, the ghost in the closet. It's not there, but yet you're afraid of it. We need to commit that to the Lord, whatever that is, whatever that condemnatory thing is, and let God touch it. That's communion. And that's what we're going to enjoy in the Lord today. So Katie and Zach are coming. And as they do, Father, I thank you for where you have us. I thank you for what you've called us to be and what you're doing. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege of gathering at your table. I ask that as we partake of this bread, that we'll be in commune with you, perfect harmony with you, that we'll embrace our created, appointed role as the body of Christ. I ask that as we receive your cup, that that sprinkling of the blood would touch exactly with great power and love that target point that the Spirit has ordained. And I ask, Father, that if there's any area within us where false condemnation or jealousies or comparisons or conformings or any other thing that would keep us missing the mark or taking us off course, if any of that's there, we ask you to cleanse us, miraculously change us, take away the sting of that thing, and let us let us not condemn ourselves. The enemy has no authority over us unless we give it to him. Let's take back the keys of our own life and lay them where they should be with you. Bless this time of communion. Bless this, these minutes of worship. We love you, Jesus. And we ask these in your wonderful name. Amen.